0: We are working our way this summer through the book of Genesis, and we are looking today at one of the most important passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It's significant for the story of the rest of the Bible, and it's also profoundly significant for our lives. If you have a Bible, we're not going to start yet, but if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn this morning to Genesis 12. This is a titanic passage of scripture before we get started i got something i want you to see but let me kick us off with a word of prayer father i thank you that jesus said one time when two or three are gathered in your name you're there so we welcome you we declare again that we don't believe any of us are here today by accident So Father, I want to ask that your purposes would be served. And I really pray in Jesus' name that we would sense today your call in our lives, for each of us, your call, your voice. God, for any of us here who have never made a connection with you, I pray that today you would speak, speak in a way that we can understand. And Lord, we want to learn. So our hearts are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Laura. Hey, Lord. So how did it go with Kat? Did you talk to her? Oh, well, Lord, not exactly. Did you forgive her? Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her? Because I asked you to. Well, yeah, I know you did, Lord, but why? Well, you shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. I mean, you don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem. Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat? Well, yeah, Lord. Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else. Yes, this is, Lord. This is way different. When I asked you to quit your job, you quit. You quit. Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week and I'll pray about it? Uh, I'll give you my answer now. Uh, But, Lord... Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming by here? Well, let's go. Now's your chance to talk to her. I want you to forgive her. Lord, you don't understand. it. Hey! Hey! It's been like two weeks since we've had coffee. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh. Yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh, well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's great. Uh huh. All right. Um, I guess I'll just, um, see you later then. Bye. Lord, did you hear that attitude? I thought you were going to forgive her. I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord. No, you said that. (laughs) Okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura, you need to obey. I want you to forgive Kat. But Lord...
0: Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. So spiritually high-impact people are people who live their lives in response to God's call. People who make an impact spiritually are people who live their lives in response to God's call. So people who are life-giving, people whose lives make a positive impression on others, people whose lives make a spiritual wake, people who leave something behind them that counts for eternity, those people live their lives in response to God's call. So there are a couple of things about that. First of all, there's God's call on our lives. There's His impression. There's our experience of Him and with Him. And then there's also us responding to that. And spiritually high-impact people are people who live their lives in response to God's call. That's how they live. That's their manner. We're going to read the account of Abraham, Abram here. By the way, if you see those names mixed up in the Bible, or even when we're talking on Sunday morning, it's the same guy. Abram means father, and Abraham means father of many. So uh, in the Old Testament, when Abram was named, he was named as an infant father. Father. And then later in life, God gave him the name Abraham, father of many. So Abram means daddy, Abraham means big daddy. It's the same guy. So we'll be reading Genesis eleven twenty-seven 27 through chapter 12, verse 9. One of the most significant passages in the entire Bible. God's call, God's impression on Abraham, Abraham's experience of that, and then Abraham's response. So this is God's word. Genesis eleven twenty seven. 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. So this paragraph is just giving us the genealogy the family tree. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran. So if you're following that, she married her uncle, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive, which is, of course, an unimaginably significant consequence for an ancient Near Eastern woman, and especially a woman who marries a man who's named father. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So uh, Terah has this sense that he needs to leave, really what is at that time the cradle of civilization. He's leaving the big city, and he's going to uh, Nowheresville. But when they came to Haran, uh, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Chapter 12. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they got there. They arrived. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I'm going to give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So first of all, this is an extremely significant historical figure. If you drive around northern Virginia, metropolitan D.C. area, and into Maryland, you can't drive for 45 minutes without passing some Muslim food establishment or Arabic food establishment or perhaps a Muslim place of worship. Certainly, you're going to pass... A Jewish temple, and you have a number of Jewish families living near and around you, and a m- number of Muslim families uh, living near and around you, and the numbers are increasing demographically. They tell us over the next five years there will be a significant influx of people into our area, primarily from the Indian subcontinent, and some of those will be Muslim, and there are already many Jews. In our area, many more coming, and all of those people call Abraham their spiritual father. In fact, the three most populous and significant religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all consider Abraham their spiritual father. Uh, This man has had a profound... I think it's fair to say you can't understand human history, the history of civilization, unless you understand the story of Abraham and more, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, when he's writing letters to explain kind of the gospel and how the Christian life works, how it works to be connected to God, he uses Abraham as his example of what faith is. Not Moses, not, you know, not David. He uses Abraham as his example of faith. So what we have here is the initiation of that. We have the kickoff of the, really the faithfulness of most of the people on the planet. In this incident, I'll explain that more fully in a minute, but we have God's call to Abram. And then we have Abram's response. So I want to say today a few things about this call because it is so profoundly significant. First of all, the call of God is demanding. The call of God is demanding. So God says to Abram, Go. God's call on your life and my life is always active. It always involves movement. It's never the same old, same old. He says, leave what you know. Leave your family. Leave your country. Leave what's known to you. And simply, follow me. Let's walk into the unknown one step at a time. Some of you are experiencing that kind of thing in your life right now. In some instances, right, God does this forcibly to us. There's a change in our financial situation or there's a change in our relational situation or there's a change in our work situation. And this is often God saying, go, leave your country and go to the land I will show you. He's not going to show Abraham where. But He wants him to simply follow. He wants him to go and go to the country that He will show him. You know, I can't tell you, how many times over the years I've had people talk to me about faith and either they're somewhere on the journey of early steps in their becoming a Christian or they've crossed over the line of faith and they're early in the walk and figuring out how to make and how to deepen that connection with God and they sense God moving and God tugging and God pushing and there will often be conversations or questions like, you know, what do I do with this relationship? Or what do I do with this work setting? Or do I have to give up this habit or that habit? And you know, I've made the mistake over the years of trying sometimes to answer those questions. And that's never a good question for you and I to answer. Because what we're really doing is we're trying to scope out the land. And we're, in effect, saying, okay, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's a cost-benefit analysis. You know, how much am I actually going to have to give up? How much am I going to have to rearrange? How much am I going to have to change to step into the call of God? And he never answers that question. He never answers that question in advance. He says, go, go. It's going to be incredible. Go to a land I'll show you. You just take the next step. You worry about tomorrow. You know, I got Tuesday figured out. Staying looks like your convenience. Staying looks like your ease. It's not that God is after our misery, but when our convenience becomes our priority, then we're not living in response to God's call in our lives. Staying looks like whatever's convenient. Staying looks like the same old, same old. Your life looks like it's always looked. And your life ends up looking like everybody's life around you. Staying looks like playing it safe. For some of you, that's emotional. For some of you, spiritual. For some of you, it's logistical. Staying looks like finding your security and in, in sources that are alternates to God, like your job or your bank account or your children or significant relationships. What? You know, finding security in children. I think that's the case. You can tell, those of us who are parents, it's difficult not to do. You can tell that we're finding our security, our sense of who we are and our children by the level of disappointment that we experience when they let us down. Staying can sometimes look like religion. Going. Going looks like a quest. It's not really an adventure. Not in a technical sense. Adventure is just out experiencing something. And walking with God is certainly an adventure, but it's really more of a quest. You know, Abraham was asked to go somewhere somewhere and got towards something, and God was going to show him. Going looks like the unusual. The Bible uses words like set apart, different. Going looks like not trusting your own understanding, but trusting God. Going looks like listening for God each step of the way. Going looks like purposeful change. There's always action. Going. The call of God is demanding. It can even be scary at times. Secondly, the call of God is personal. The old King James, the older Bible translations get this right. The King James said in God's initial words to Abraham, get thee out. The word go translated in the NIV is actually two words. In the Hebrew, it's you go. And Hebrew is one of those languages where the declension of the verb itself, the verb carries the sense of you. So you is really superfluous, but In this case, it's not often when they say, you go, or you do this. It's meant for emphasis. God is saying to Abraham, hey, you go. It's personal. It's not about your country. You haven't been called of God. You don't have a connection with God because you're American. And this country is a Christian nation. It's not about family. It's about you personally having an encounter with God and then living your life in response to that encounter. It's personal. You know, Diane and I had the incredible privilege of being able to raise three boys. And they're not boys anymore, they're young men. And two unemployed young men. So if you know any, have any resources, let me know. But those young men who have been raised in our family, and I would say it's fair to say 99.6% of the time over the course of our lives, we have prayed over every meal. We've prayed most every night, Diane and I, for our boys, and we've prayed with them a number of times. One of them had an interview at a high school this week. We sat down with him and prayed before he went. They've certainly come to great churches over the years, and they've had great people, and I mean that. We feel profoundly indebted to some of you who have loved our boys good. You haven't put pressure on them. You're... Ed and Diane's son, what's up with you? You've let them be who they are. Sometimes that's, you know, been unfortunate. But you've let them be who they are. And I feel pretty confident that our boys are going to grow up to be moral. Because Diane and I are moral. And they're going to be nice, I think. Good chance, 26, 24, 22, they're pretty nice. It would be unusual for them to turn otherwise. But they're not going to have a connection with God unless they personally say yes and live their lives in response to that yes. Unless they feel at some point the press of God into their lives, hey, Dawson, I've got something for you to do, buddy. I want you to follow me. Unless and until they experience that and feel that and turn and go. They're not going to have connection with God if you don't live in response to His call. And you cannot be a high-impact person spiritually without living your life in response to God's call. And many of you know that. I know your stories. I know many of you are living your life you're trying to live your life in response to God's call and you don't always get it right but neither did Abraham (laughs) he messed up plenty of times we cannot have an impact we can't be the kind of people that God designed us to be unless we live our lives in light of response to God's call it's very personal third the call of God is inspiring God gives Abraham an extraordinarily big word Hey, Abram, I'm going to bless you. You know, blessing's going to come through you. In fact, all people on the earth are going to be blessed through you. Say, what? God says this to a guy whose wife is barren, by the way. They have no children. He will later make this word even more dramatic. Years later. Abraham is now an old man. God's going to take Abraham outside. He's, he doesn't live in the city. There are no artificial lights. It says, look up in the sky, and I don't know when the last time you've done that in an area where there's no ambient light, but there are a lot of stars in the sky. And God says, you see those stars? Start counting, Abram. Hundred. Say so that's probably another two hundred. Okay, that's probably a thousand. All right, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky, God always gives a word that calls us to see beyond ourselves and beyond our capacities. When God calls us, he always calls us beyond ourselves. Some of you know the story of Moses. Moses is a young man. He kills an Egyptian. He runs. He flees from Pharaoh. He senses that he might be in danger. He goes out into the desert Mary's a Midianite woman, and he stays there for half his life. He's an old man. He's minding his own business one day. He's watching sheep and goats out in the wilderness, and he sees a bush on fire, and it looks unusual. Then he's freaked out because the bush is not consumed. So he goes over to it, and he gets a sense. And some of you have had this experience. You have the sense that it's not just another moment. Oh, my gosh. You know, God is involved with me here and now in this and Moses had that sense and all of a sudden he hears a voice and God speaks to Moses and tells him you know I want you to go back to Egypt and you are going to be the guy who delivers the Israelites out of their current condition and Moses's response is you've got the wrong guy I mean I've been wasting away out here for a generation God I'm an old man and I'm not a good speaker so I'm going to get up in front of Pharaoh and I'm going to stutter and I'm not going to know what to say. The Israelites are not going to follow me. They're not going to have any confidence in a guy like this. When God calls us, he always calls us beyond our capacities, beyond our, ourselves. There was a British commoner born into a working class family in the late 1800s, a guy named William Carey, and he grew up to be a shoemaker. And he was making shoes for more than a decade. William Carey is making shoes in London. And on the side, just out of interest and curiosity, he started reading books of theology and biographies of explorers. And God used those two things somehow and put them together in William Carey's heart William Carey one time went to a large meeting with a bunch of Baptist ministers and this shoemaker stood up and said, look, I think that we need to take the gospel. I think we need to take the good word, the good news about God's love as it has expressed itself in Jesus Christ. I think we need to take that to China and India and tell folks who have not heard. And it's reported that one minister stood up and said, look, if God wanted to save those people in those distant lands, he would do it himself. And fortunately for the modern missionary movement, William Carey thought, well, I think he is doing it. He's doing it through me. So William Carey left everything he knew. And he moved, and hundreds of thousands of young people for generations since have heard William Carey's story and followed his example. William Carey was the one who said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. The call of God is inspiring. If you have not been inspired, if your life has not taken on something larger than itself, then you have not yet heard God's call. You may have felt some religious impulse, but you have not heard God's call. The call of God is demanding and personal and inspiring, and those who live their lives in light of that call will be spiritually high-impact people. All right, so the response. The response, verse 4, So Abram went. Abram said yes, and he left. That's how he responded. He obeyed. The Lord speaks again to him in verse 7. He says to him in verse 7, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So not now a word just about abram himself but a word about this land and about offspring and abram responds again and built an altar to commemorate it i'm reminded jan of the stones of remembrance that you have in your home just jan has found a significant rock for significant moments in his life and they're prominently displayed on a piece of furniture in Jan's house. And uh, periodically when you're in Jan's house, you'll see the rocks and you'll walk over and you'll think, oh, a bunch of rocks. And Jan will then have the opportunity to walk over and tell you what God has done Movements of God in his life. That's what it was for Abram. Abram built a little altar and for generations they could pass by. In fact, they left the land. We have reference to this later. They left the land. They were in Egypt 400 years. They come back and... They have Abram's altar still there. Abram responds, and always the response to God is obedience, surrender, recognition. Okay, that's what he does. He recognizes, wow, God spoke to me. And then remembrance. The altar is in part for Abraham. I mean, It's fully for Abraham. It's not for God. It doesn't serve him at all, but it helps Abraham remember. We talked last fall about the importance of remembering. It's key to our spiritual lives. This past week on Wednesday night, it was awesome. I went to worship practice this past week with the band, and I just asked, you know, the, the team, "Hey, tell me about times when you've encountered God." What a, What a faith builder! What an awesome, awesome! Those are some pretty good people. They don't look like it, but they're pretty good people, and they were talking about their encounters with God. Look, listen how crazy we are. You people are the kind of people that need medication. We watched a video the other night in a college Bible study on uh, Sunday evening. This guy was talking about how he's on the board of directors for this mission agency. I'm sorry, this is a side note, but he's on the board of directors for this mission agency, and he said he showed up at the board meeting one time, and they were talking about sending a therapist to go over and work with all their missionaries to improve their mental health, and he said, stop. Don't do that. Don't. And they said, why? And he said, because these are people that have heard from God. They're people that believe God spoke to them and said, move to some Central Asian country and turn your life completely upside down and take your two young children and move to a city with a million people where nobody speaks your language. Because I'm going to change that city ultimately through you. And if you go over and make those people normal, they'll all come back home. You and I are people that believe we've heard from God, and we have. It's always surrender, trust, recognition, and remembrance. When is it God spoke into your heart and life? This morning, remember that. How about us? That's Abram's response. How about us? Well, somebody's thinking this morning, what if I've never heard from God? What if I've never heard his call? Just two things quickly. This is not really a sermon about that. It's not a time for a lesson about that. That's another time. But I want to say, first of all, that's probably not true. Probably you need this morning to remember and be refreshed because you will never be a person of impact unless you live your life in response to that encounter with God. Live your life in response to the yes to God. But secondly, I want to say I don't have an answer for you really because there's no methodology, there's no like steps. Okay, here's how you go get a call from God. You know, Abraham wasn't working some spiritual plan when God spoke to him. And the same thing is true for those throughout Scripture whom God calls. So my only advice, if I gave you any specific advice, my only advice, and if you miss everything else, don't miss this. My only advice would be, To be desperate. We live such good, safe, comfortable lives that we've eliminated most of the desperation from our lives. And I would would encourage you to be desperate. Allow yourself to be desperate. When you want God more than anything else, God moves, God answers, God calls. There's an old Pentecostal evangelist named Leonard Ravenhill who used to say, God doesn't answer prayer. And then he would let that hang in the air for a while. He would say, he answers desperate prayer. And sometimes we think we're desperate when we're not. We're desperate, of course, to have our own way. or We're desperate for things to go easier. or We're desperate for things to work out. But we're not desperate for God. We're not desperate for whatever God has for us. So I would encourage you and I to be desperate. Okay, so the response, surrender, obedience, recognition, Remembrance, trust. So Abraham went. God said go, and Abraham went. I've got a personal word here. I'm sometimes discouraged. I'm sometimes embarrassed, honestly, by how little impact my own life has had, or my sense of it anyway, given all that God has invested in me. But the fact that my life has had any impact at all is testimony to the personal inspiration that I've received from God's call on my life and it's the result of my having submitted to the ultimate demand of God for him to be the director of my life. Years ago, I was in a seminary class, and God guy was talking about this passage in Genesis, and he made an observation that I'd never heard before and have never heard since. But he was talking to us about young, at the time I was young, so this was 1879, and he was talking to the young men and young women in the congregation, and he said, I want you to notice something critical about this, this verse here, and Abram's response. We're all, okay, tell us. And he says, the Bible says, Abraham went, and Lot went with him. He pauses pregnantly, and we're all little puppies. Okay, feed us. What in the world are you talking about? So that's always the way it is spiritually. There are Abrams on whom God places his hand and presses on their heart. And then inevitably, there are lots that go with them. And if you follow the arc of the rest of this story, Lot is constantly getting into trouble. (laughs) He's creating conflict. There's conflict between Abram and Lot. People can't get along with one another. They end up having to separate with one another. And Lot is the one that ends up living in Sodom. And Abram has to go in and rescue Lot because God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is just constantly getting into trouble. Because God placed his call on Abram's life, and Abram said yes, and Abram became a high-impact person, and Lot went with him. Okay, I'm going to be real personal here for a second. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every week I stand up here on Sunday morning and speak to some lots. And I want you to know, every week, but especially this week, I have prayed for you. I don't mean to be critical or judgmental. I don't know what is anyone's heart in particular, but I I pray that you will hear and respond. And you will become an Abram. And for those of you who have, I pray that your life will be animated fully by living in response to God's call. It's the only way to live. That's all he wants. The people who live their lives out in response to his call. That's all he wants. That's what he wants from us, and I believe that God is waiting on Gateway Community Church to be that kind of people, and I think he will move mightily. Spiritually high-impact people are people who live their lives in response to God's call. So when we respond, a couple more notes about this call, and then we'll quit. Number one, the call changes everything. When we respond to God, the call changes everything. The call in our lives changes everything when we respond. In Joshua chapter 24, we have a little note from Joshua at the end of his life referring back to this period in their family history. And he says something fascinating that this text doesn't give us in Genesis. Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3 says this, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, are you following me? So Joshua's now referring back to the period that we're in right now. Long ago, he says, Your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river, and worshiped other gods, Joshua says. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river, and I led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. You see, Genesis is a history. We haven't made too much of this, but this is one of the central themes of Genesis. It's a history of God picking out a particular people and following the arc of their story through history and establishing himself through those people. You know, it's Adam, and it's Noah, and then it's uh, uh, that line that goes through, and there's a faithful witness to God, all throughout human history, and Genesis follows the ark of that family and that faithful history throughout human history. And at this point, the ark has fallen off, and the witness to God is about to die on planet Earth. The faithful family is living among people who are pagan worshipers, and they have become pagans themselves and are worshiping other gods, including Terah and Abraham. We're at a place in human history where there is almost no witness, no faithful witness for God. And the call of God changed everything. It completely changed human history. Because spiritually high-impact people, when they live their lives in response to the call of God, it changes everything. The call of God changes everything and it will change everything about you and it will change everything about what flows out from you. Your children, your friends, the people on whom you have an impact and you will have an impact beyond what you can imagine. Do you think Abraham could meet with us today and look out on us? Uh, Don't you think he would be amazed? And if we were to say to Abraham, look, Abraham, FYI, there are a lot of us all over the planet. You've got to be kidding me. No. Because you went. The call of God changes everything. Have you ever seen the movie Beckett? It was a film in 1964. It won several Academy Awards, or it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. And Richard Burton plays Henry II. It's in like the 1100s, I think. And he is a carouser and a womanizer. And one of his drinking buddies is a man named Thomas Beckett. And Beckett was not only a drinking buddy of Henry II, but the movie portrays that he would also arrange for Henry II's dalliances with other women outside of his soulless and unhappy marriage. And the thorn in Henry's flesh is the Archbishop who is, you know, constantly slapping his wrist and it will remind him of other things and will not let Henry do basically whatever he wants. So at one point, pretty early in the movie, they're off on a trip. Henry gets the word that the archbishop has died, and he has a brainstorm. Oh my gosh, I get to appoint the archbishop. And I'm going to appoint my buddy, Thomas Beckett, and I'll show all of those pompous priests, I'm going to appoint Thomas Beckett to be the archbishop, and then I can do whatever I want, and Thomas and I can party on the church's dime. So he appoints Thomas Beckett, and a very weird thing happens on the way to Thomas Beckett's priesthood. He gets a call from God, and it changes everything. Beckett ends up standing against Henry II. And will not allow his behavior. And Henry II spends the entire movie tormented that his good buddy Thomas has turned into this. How did that happen? It's the call of God on his life. At the end, Henry's so tormented. There are a group of people around him and he says, Who will help me deal with this thorn in my flesh? And several of his sidekicks run out and kill Beckett. Beckett's last words are poor Henry the call of God when we respond it changes everything secondly the call of God sustains us when we respond finally Abe makes some mistakes and he takes some pretty serious detours throughout the rest of Genesis and I'm going to encourage you to read the story it's (laughs) it's a little sad at points but he's personally sustained and the work of God is sustained by the call on Abram's life. I mean, he makes some serious mistakes. Your mistakes pale in comparison to the mistakes that Abraham makes. But the call of God on his life is sustained. And his future is sustained. And the work of God is sustained. And you and I are still here because Abram said yes. People who live high impact lives spiritually are people who live their lives in response to God's call. Let's wrap up. You know what? Jesus models this for us, doesn't He? in the garden on that last night, among other times in his life, Jesus looks at the Father and he says, Please, something else. But not my will, but yours. He says yes. And because he says yes, Jesus becomes the megaphone for God's call to us. Jesus actually amplifies God's call to us. He does that by removing everything that hinders us from a connection with God. Jesus has removed everything that hinders us from a connection with God. We'll be explaining that more in coming weeks, but all sin, guilt, relational distance, the dissonance that we feel from the busyness in our own lives, Jesus has made a way beyond all of that so that we can experience God's call on our lives personally. Let me conclude with this. I'm not going to read all of this. We were going to look at Genesis 15, but I'm going to look at it real quickly with you genesis 15 is an odd little passage of scripture where essentially what happens in genesis 15 and go back and read it again this afternoon it's one of those passages of scripture that you read and you go what let me explain a little of what's going on and it'll help you with it because what happens is formally in a way that's kind of a commemoration almost like uh, abram building the altar God has an encounter with Abraham and he ends up formalizing it or officializing it in Genesis 15. So that's what's going on here. They call it a covenant ceremony. It's a covenant making ceremony. Covenant is a fancy Old Testament word for, you know, agreement. Nations made covenants with one another. They were essentially elaborate treaties with one another. And there were covenant ceremonies, things that they would go through, the dances that they would do with one another, like, you know, treaty signings. And Genesis 15 is an example of a second millennium ancient Near Eastern covenant ceremony, but something remarkable happens and you can't miss it. Don't miss this. Okay, I said it already, but forget it. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. I'm going to tell you how critical this is a wild passage. So I'm going to read quickly. So now, Genesis 15, this is what happens. And it's happened in your life too. You know, you've seen God weave Himself throughout your life and show up again and say something to you that's really a reaffirmation of something that He did when you were 9 or when you were 15. And you know, I've heard that voice before. I've felt that impulse before. That's the call of God on your life. Lean into that. And throughout Abraham's life, you see this God weaving himself into Abraham's story. And here in Genesis 15, he really is just saying the same thing again. So let's, let's look at this quickly. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. But Abraham said, look, I'm tired of this, Lord. <laughs> Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Because you gave me these big promises. And I felt this call in my life, and it was really, really big. And I was psyched. It was inspiring. And I am still here, but ain't nothing happening. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, who's the son of one of my slaves. Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household, that'll be my heir. That's the plan. We'll go through. We'll work that way. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, look up at the sky, count the stars, it's going to be like that Abraham and then verse 6 says this and once again Abraham gives exactly the right response and this verse is what Paul quotes in the New Testament Abram believed the Lord and that it was credited to him as righteousness that belief by God was credited as righteousness even though Abram by this point has made a lot of mistakes God's still working with him he also said to him I'm the Lord who brought you out of the earth the Chaldeans give you this land to take possession of but Abram has the Lord How can I know that I will gain possession of it? Because I'm a little concerned. You know, my life story's not working out exactly the way I thought. A lot of dreams have died here, God. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, goat, ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Because, Abraham, we're going to have a covenant-making ceremony. Follow. Don't miss this. Abraham brought all these uh, cut in two, arranged the halves opposite each other, the birds. However, he did not cut in half So Abram has arranged them all in exactly the form of an ancient Near Eastern covenant-making ceremony. He's split them in half, altar on this side, altar on this side, half the animal here, half the animal here. Blood is doing a certain thing. And Abram's got it all arranged to, to make a covenant with God. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. What's that about? We'll get there in a second. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. We don't have time to talk about that. It was awesome. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Then, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the goods, etc. What? You have no idea how awesome this is. So in these ancient Near Eastern covenant-making ceremonies, you have the animals split in half altar on, on each side and each party. I'm making a covenant with my son Jordan. And Jordan, I'm the great king. You're a lesser king, Jordan. We're going to cut these animals apart and be on either, be on either side on the, either altar. And then we're going to say some words And we're going to have our servants and the people around us protect the altar, manage the altar, get rid of birds and flies. So they're protecting the altar. So the big guys, the treaty party people, we can walk between the the two pieces. And I'll carry a torch and you'll carry some other mechanism of fire and we will walk between and I will say to you I'm making a covenant with you and I'll keep my part and then you walk between and you say I'm making a covenant with you and I'll keep my part only in this covenant Abram is the one who gets rid of the birds and God walks through twice God does both sides of the covenant he keeps his part and ours That's what the New Testament means when it says we are His righteousness. Jesus came and lived a sinless, righteous life and then gave us that righteousness and called us into a connection with Him, into a relationship with Him, which He's already taken care of both sides of. That's what the Bible means when it says it's all by grace. You don't have to do anything, He's done it all already. Spiritually, high-impact people are people who live their lives in response to God speaking. And I don't care how much you've messed up. He's doing it. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. Father, we are bold enough, strange enough, to ask and believe that you could speak right now So Lord, I want to ask that for some of us, this would be a moment of remembrance, that we will remember what you've said to us, the promise of that, the power of that. For others of us, God, we may have been religious, but we've been a lot. We've followed along. We're not personally living in light of your call in our lives. We're not personally living under the experience of encountering you and surrendering and going and leaving family and country and following only you. So for those of us, Lord, this morning in that position, in that living under that condition, in Jesus' name, speak. We thank you for the power of what you've done, the grace, the goodness, and we thank you that you know our name, and you know where we live, and you know everything about us. So hear us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.